Okay, we're, cho- we're starting chapter 7. Chapter 6, we saw that Shlomo built the temple and, fit and completed it. What he has to finish is the various instruments and kelim vessels that go in the courtyard and inside the temple itself. But first, the narrative here takes us on a little of a detour and we discuss some of the other structures that Shlomo built. So it says in verse 1 that his own house Shlomo built over 13 years, he finished the entire palace. So we see here that Shlomo, the first verse tells us that he built his own home, his own palace, and it took him 13 years. So that's a great compliment. The sages say that Shlomo knew his, knew his priorities, that he took seven years to build the fancy, beautiful edifice, the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, and his own house, which was really a lot less fancy, no gold, no silver, just a lot of cedar wood. That took him 13 years. So it's important that a Jew knows what's important. You know, when a, that's the idea when a couple gets married and they're about to build their own home. And under the chuppah, right under the chuppah already, we have the custom where the groom smashes the glass with his foot and that's supposed to symbolize the, the, that the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, is in ruins. So this couple is supposed to feel that now that we are building our own private home, we are still very sad that the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, Hashem's home, stands in ruins. So that's really the bittersweet, somber uh, um, moment of the wedding ceremony. But it's kind of funny or ironic that precise, precisely there, everybody else mazel tov and everybody celebrates at that point. But actually that particular part of the ceremony is supposed to be a very serious, solemn moment. So in any case... They give the uh, dimensions of this structure, and it's 100 cubits in length, 50 cubits in width, 30 cubits in height, four rows of cedar pillars, cedar beams over the pillars. So we have, we have a lot of cedar beams and cedar uh, pillars, and that's why it's called here in verse 2, Yar HaLevanon, the house of Lebanon. That's what it's called here in verse 2. Kind of a strange name for his home, Yar HaLevanon, and the simple understanding, because it was made of Lebanese wood. But some say, some of the commentators say that Yar Lebanon, the forest of Lebanon, was a uh, was its name because it was like a country home that Shlomo had built to get out of the hot Jerusalem sun, and he had a country home in Lebanon. So that's why it was called Yar Lebanon. And um, the the architecture of this particular structure is a little bit complicated. The, even the commentators aren't sure about it, of the details. So we're going to go to verse 7 before we go into detail about his house. We'll read what next he built in verse 7. It said he made a hall for the throne. It's called in Hebrew, Ulam HaKisei, where he would judge a hall of judgment. Ulam HaMishpat. So this verse 7 gives us two names for his giant court hall. One's called the Hall for the throne, once called the Hall of Judgment, Ulama Mishpat, Ulama Kisei. Ulama Kisei, the, the Hall for the Throne, may uh, be a innuendo to his very, very famous throne, which he sat upon when he judged the Jewish people. Chazal talk about this fantastic, magnificent throne he had, and they call it Hall for, of the Throne. But it's also called here Hall of Judgment, Ulama Mishpat. So he built this Ulama Mishpat, this Hall of Judgment, and you have to remember that judging the people, that's the fundamental role of the king. 
that he is supposed to judge the people with Din Torah, with, with the laws that Hashem gave us from the Torah. Because the Torah, it's not just a bunch of stories, but it's, it's a system of laws that Hashem wants us to apply in this world. And that's why it's very important to have Jewish law in the society you live in. That's why Israel is, is criticized by the religious Jews and other people who care that we have British law and Turkish law instead of Torah law. And that really di- dictates the culture of your society. What kind of laws are you going to have? And it's really a, an insult to Hashem that He gave us these Torah laws and we don't use them. They were meant to be used and applied in this world. And that's why the judgment that the king does, that's his basic role is mishpat. That's why Shlomo was famous for mishpat, for judgment. And all the kings of Israel had to judge. So he has this special hall of judgment. And it says further that where he dwelt was in another courtyard beyond the hall of the same construction. That's verse 8. So it says in Hebrew, so a cheret could be another hall, another yard, or it could be set further back. So it's possibly that it's possible that his dwelling, his personal dwelling, was set further back behind the courtyard of mishpat, of judgment. And then it says, also in verse 8, another structure he, he built, a house like this he made for the daughter of Paro. Yes, Bad Paro got her own house, it says, who Shlomo had taken as a wife. So again we see here that Shlomo's wife, the daughter of Paro, was obviously his most prominent wife because it doesn't say he built a house for any other of his many, many wives. So she was obviously important. And it says in Chazal that he named her Bitya. And that's that's the name of the original Bat Paro, the daughter of Paro who who uh, took Moshe in, Moses, from the Teva back in Egypt in the days of slavery. Her name was also Bitya. And she was a righteous convert to Judaism. So maybe Shlomo was wishfully thinking that his Bat Paro would also be righteous, a righteous convert, and so he named her Bitya. And in any case, it says in the continuation that these were all made of valuable stones, all these build- buildings, the size of hewn stones, filled smooth with a file on the inside and the outside, from the foundation to the ceiling. And then it gets into a little more detail. We're going to go on, jump a little bit to verse 13. And we're going to talk about, now we're going to go and continue now with the vessels of the temple. We're going to go back to the temple building. And it says the following, verse 13, that King Shlomo sent and took Hiram from Tyre. So, Hiram from Tyre. In Hebrew, it's Hiram Mitzur. Remember, Tyre is called Sur. And that's a little bit confusing because we know that Shlomo's ally was also called Hiram from Sur. Melech Hiram from Sur. This is obviously another Hiram. This is a Jewish man, because as we see in the continuation of the verse, as a matter of fact, in, in, the, in the Chronicles, his name is Huram, not Hiram. And he was from Sur, from Tyre. And it says that he was the son of a widowed woman from the tribe of Naphtali. So we don't know the name of his mother, but we know she, she was a widow. And we know from the Chronicles that she was from the tribe of Dan. And his father, as it says here, was the tribe of Naphtali. And it says his father had been a Tyrian, in Hebrew, a Tsuri. So the simple understanding is that he lived in Tyre, in Sur. But Tsuri also can mean, from the root Tsayar, which means an artist. So he was an 
a coppersmith we know, a skilled coppersmith, so maybe that's why he's a tsuri from the root artist. The other possibility is why is, why is he called a Tyrian or a tsuri? Because the, he possibly lived in the portion of Asher, and Asher's portion was very, very bordering the geographical area of Tsur, so that's another possibility. And it says he was full of wisdom, insight, and knowledge to do all sorts of work with copper. So this he was a coppersmith, and he was filled with insight and knowledge to do work with copper, and he did for Shlomo, he performed the work. And interesting that it says he was full of wisdom and insight, and when the Chumash in the Torah, when we discussed the original architect of the tabernacle in the desert, his name was Bitzalel, that was in the days of Moses, it also says that I will fill him with wisdom, so here we also, he was full of wisdom, very similar uh, wording in the scripture as to, for Hiram as it was for Betzalel back in the desert. Okay, in verse 15 we see the first thing he makes. He designed two co- pillars of copper, 18 cubits the height of the one pillar and 12 cubits string could go around its circumference and likewise for the second pillar. So we're talking here about these ornamental pillars that Hiram built, and they were called Yachin and Boaz. They actually had names. And these pillars, these huge capitals, were huge, and they stood in front of the temple. If you see on the previous year the picture, you might see one of those pillars outside of the temple. And they were very unique. They were special only to Shlomo's temple. They did not appear in the first... Um, Mishkan in the tabernacle in the desert and they were not in the second temple either only in Shlomo's temple he had these huge pillars which had fantastic intricate design that the the, the um, scripture delves into for 10 verses we're not going to go into it but you have to see a picture of it and it would be worth a thousand words and um, these had deep deep meanings they weren't just put in there for nothing and we'll talk about some of the meaning, meaning maybe later on and if you, if, you Google, um, if you Google, let's say, temple, for, and you want an image of the temple, you're usually not going to get Solomon's first temple. You'll probably get a picture of the second temple where you don't see all these pillars and we'll see some tri- other additions like 10 menorahs and 10 wash basins and so forth. That was all unique to Shlomo's temple. The next thing he built in verse 23, it takes us to the sea. It says in verse 23, he made the molten sea, sea as in ocean or sea, S-E-A. It was this huge, um, let's say a giant pot, we can call it. We'll read the verses here in verse 23. He made a sea, a, a, the molten sea. Of course, it was also bronze. Ten cubits from one lip to the other, circular around, five cubits in height, 30 cubit circumference. So this was a huge... Uh, let's say a pot, and it's it held thousands, hundreds of gallons of water. That's why maybe it was called the sea, or in Hebrew, the yam. And it stood outside in the courtyard. You'll see a picture of it accompanying the shior. There's a picture of the sea there. And um, it says here that, what did it stand upon? This giant, we'll call it a pot. It stood upon 12 oxen, three facing north, three facing west, and three facing south, three facing east. The sea stood on top of them, and that's this humongous structure in the courtyard. Again, only unique to Shlomo's temple. It did not 
appear in any other uh, Beit HaMikdash. Not in the third temple plannings, not in the tabernacle and not in the second temple. In addition, in verse 27, he made 10 copper stands. In Hebrew, they're called mechonot nechoshet. A mechona, well, they're stands or they're bases or wagons. And he made 10 of these copper, we'll call them wagons or stands. And it gives the tremendous detail about the wheels and the design, um, the axles, the hubs, the rims, the spokes of the wheels alone take up a couple of verses here. And they were 10 copper stands that stood in the courtyard and they were stands or bases for the washing lavens, the, the water basins. So we have a, a huge description just of these copper stands. We Again, 10 in the courtyard, five on each side. And it says in verse 38, he made 10 copper lavers or water basins and he put those water basins on the 10 copper bases or, or wagons. So that's a lot of scripture about these water lavers and basins, which was for the Kohanim to rinse themselves. The Beit HaMikdash Sheni, the second temple, only had one of these. The Mishkan only had one of these. So again, it was very, very unique that we have 10 water lavers on 10 wagons. And great, in great intricate detail, they are described here. We'll go down a little bit to verse 48. And there it's kind of a little of a a summary of all that was made, all the furnishings. And it says the following, and Shlomo made all the furnishings for the temple of Hashem. And it lists them. Now, they call Shlomo made the furnishings, even though we know it was Hiram who made them with his skilled skill. Um, skill. Shlomo commanded it, so it's in his name. So it said he made the furnishings for the temple, the golden altar, the table, which of course the Lechem Apanim, they're talking about the tables. And there were 10 of those, by the way. The menorahs, five on the right and five on the left. Of course, that was not in the chatzer. That was in the temple, in the inner sanctum, outside of it, in the holy, not the holy of holies, in the hechal. And that was of gold with the flowers and the lamps and the tongues. If they give a little detail of this menorah, of these menorahs. And of course, it talks about the, the other instruments, the bowls, the spoons, the pans. Of course, these were for incense. For the Ktoret, also on the golden mazbech, on the golden altar, they were used. And it talks about the hinges of the doors, etc. These were all made from copper by Hiram. So we want to kind of figure out why did Shlomo, uh, why was he so lavish? Did he just decide to be fancy and make 10 menorahs instead of one, like the other structures had, like the other temples? 10 Water basins, ten showbread tables. Why? Why did he do it for? What was? What stood behind it? So obviously, this deep meaning, mystical uh, purpose behind what Shlomo did, and this midrash tadeshe, it's going to get a little bit into maybe some of the secrets why Shlomo did what he did in his temple. So it says the following, and I'm reading inside. Why did Moses have seven candles? And Shlomo have 70 candles. In other words, we know that the original tabernacle of Moses' head was one menorah, which, each ha- which had seven candles to it. And Shlomo, having 10 menorahs, has 70 candles. So they ask why. But they said, Moshe, because Moshe conquered seven nations upon entering the land. We're talking about the East Bank conquests of Moshe. He conquered seven nations. But Shlomo had dominion over 70 nations. 
So that corresponds to the 70 candles. As it says, and Shlomo had dominion over all the countries. That's chapter 5, verse 1. We read that verse previously. And then they go on. Why did Shlomo make 10 water basins? And we know that Moshe only had one. So it says the following. In order to increase the rainfall, 10 water basins corresponding to the Ten Commandments. So they say, well, Moshe also had the Ten Commandments. Why did they only have one water basin? So it says the following. Because in the desert, they didn't need rain. They had the manna from the heavens. They had the well of Miriam to provide them with water, and therefore they didn't need it. But Shlomo, who was dealing in a non-miraculous environment, we know that the wilderness this is me speaking, not the Midrash. The wilderness, it was a miraculous setup over there with man and Hashem bringing miracles every day. Shlomo was in the real world, in Jerusalem, in the land of Israel. They had to pray for water and they had to have lots of water for the uh, farmers. And therefore, these 10 water basins on the Yam, the sea, those, with those 12 cows underneath it, they, those four cows underneath it, they were... Um, a way of bringing abundance from the heavens of a bracha to, uh, to the Jewish people to bring rain. And it says furthermore that, that Shlomo had these water basins to increase the rain and he put them on the south side, it says, on the south side of the temple because the blessing of dew emanates from the south side of the world. So that's a little bit heavy, but we know the Beit HaMikdash corresponds to the world. It's like a miniature world. So that might be symbolized in that. And they go on. The showbread. Why ten tables of the lechem apanim, of the showbread? We know these ten golden tables stood in the Kodesh, in the tabernacle. What for? So they say ten tables corresponding to the Ten Commandments. And they say that, why, why did Moses only have one? And they say because in the desert again, they didn't need to sow seeds. They had manaf coming from the heavens. But in the land of Israel, when Shlomo was king, they had to sow seeds and sow the land. And the lechem apanim, the, the, the showbread, is a symbol of the wheat and the grain. So to bring shefa, to bring abundance from the heavens for the farmers. These, lech, these ten tables was a symbol of abundance of seeds planted to sow the land, giving Am Yisrael good agriculture and do from the heavens. So this is all we see, a very symbolic, uh, what Shlomo put in. It wasn't some kind of technical uh, thing that he added 10 menorahs and 10 tables just for the fun of it. And then finally it ends, again, something about the menorah. Again, 70 men, uh, candles and 10 menorahs. 10 menorahs corresponding to the 10 commandments, it says. And why 70 candles? corresponding to the 70 nations. And it says that all, as, as long as the candles were lit, the nations of the world were subdued underneath the Jewish people. But when the candles were extinguished, the nations of the world overcame the children of Israel. So we see some heavy symbolism here in the 70 candles on those 10 menorahs. That's just that maybe the tip of the iceberg of what's, what some all of this meant all these editions of Shlomo Melech. So we're going to wrap it up here in verse 
51. And this verse says the following. And all the work that Shlomo had done for the temple of God was completed. And he brought that which his father had sanctified, the silver and the gold and the instruments, and he placed them in the treasuries of the temple of God. So this verse looks harmless at first glance, because it says, what does it say? Shlomo finished building the temple, and he brought what his father had sanctified, the silver and gold, and he put them in the treasury. But that's a problem, because we know that David conquered the nations back in Shmuel Bet, and he took the spoils of war, put him in the treasury so that Shlomo would use it for building the temple. And we saw in Chronicles 29 that David tells Shlomo, here, I have all this silver and gold and bronze. I want to use it. I, want, I, I collected it from the nations so that you can use it for building the temple. So why does this verse say that Shlomo put the silver and gold back into the treasury? He should have been using it for the first temple. So the sages lock onto this and they, they have... Two explanations, one to David's credit and one to David's discredit. And it says the following. It says that, why did not Shlomo use David's silver and gold? It says because the nations would have mocked David and the Jewish people saying that David took it from us unethically. He attained it unethically in unethical wars against us and stole it. And therefore, Hashem, when he destroys the temple, was getting revenge in David for taking it, for attaining the silver and gold unethically. That is, God knew that there would be the destruction of the Beit of Mikdash, of the temple. In 410 years, it's going to fall. And the nations would say, ha, David uh, is being punished because he attacked us and stole our silver and gold. And therefore, Hashem did not want that the silver and gold that David succeeded in capturing from the nations to be used for the first temple so they wouldn't be used to mock us. That's the first reason. By the way, this is a mission in Psikta uh, Rabati. The next, the next reason is to David's discredit, and it says the following, that why didn't Shlomo use the silver and gold of David and Melech? So it says that we know that in chapter 25 in Shmuel Bet, we have a story of famine in the land, a three-year famine that's another story that's connected to the Givonim again. You could check it out in Shmuel Bet. And this criticism of David for not using the silver and gold to help feed the needy people during the famine. And therefore, because David is punished for not taking the silver and gold out of the treasury and using it to feed the poor people who are starving, Hashem said, you're not going to use that silver and gold for the temple. And therefore, Shlomo did not use it. So there we see a harsh criticism of David of why the silver and gold wasn't used. Interestingly enough, if you look at the verse, it says the silver and gold was returned to the treasury. But we know that there was also a lot of bronze that David collected. It says that in Chronicles. Lots and lots of bronze. So that was not returned to the treasury. So it could be that the bronze instruments and vessels that we saw in our chapter that Hiram built, that was used. And that was in the courtyard. But inside the temple itself, in the holy, in the holy of holies, in the, in the sanctuary where the silver and gold was used, that was used, that was Shlomo's silver and gold that he attained by, on his own, and that's possibly why it took him four years to build the Meit Migdash. We know that he waited four years. In his fourth year of reign, he built the temple. Possibly he had to attain his own silver and gold. He didn't use his father's. And that might explain why it says that he put 
the silver and gold of the treasury, but possibly the bronze he did use for the outer courtyard, and we'll end right here.